Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Summer Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it is a joy to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It is Wednesday, June 29th. We're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, taking on tough issues. Last week, we talked about the need to build the church on the secure foundation of Jesus Christ, and we were reminded that one day the quality of our faith will be tested, so we need to carefully choose the building materials we are to construct God's sanctuary with. We found that in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Today in part 4, we're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 21. It's the whole chapter, and we'll gain some understanding about what's called power plays. That's the title of the study, actually, power plays. And these were being used. These power plays were happening in the Corinthian church. We're going to find out what they were, how Paul dealt with them, and what his actions say for the church today. All that and more in a moment. But as always, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise your holy name. God, you deserve all the glory. Open our hearts to receive your truths today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You know, many of us are overwhelmed with responsibilities and to-do lists. We even need computers and cell phones to make sure that we live up to all of our commitments. Here are some opening questions to help us look at our experiences about fulfilling our responsibilities. Question one, what responsibilities or chores were you entrusted with as a teenager? Or maybe the word entrusted isn't quite the right word that you were tasked with, that you were told you had to do, however that works out. Whatever responsibilities or chores were you entrusted with as a teenager, which did you like the most, and which did you like the least? As a teenager, my chores included taking out the trash, keeping my room clean, and mowing the lawn, and other kinds of yard work. The chores that I liked the most? Definitely mowing the lawn and yard work. I just liked being outside, trimming tree branches, pulling weeds in the gardens, that kind of thing. My least favorite chore? Clearly, taking out the trash. Question two, when it came to doing those chores, how faithful were you? On a scale of one to 10, one being you could rely on me not to do it, to 10 being once asked, it was as good as done. How would you rate yourself doing those chores that you were given to do? My answer is I would rate myself a 9.5. I didn't miss a chore very often because of the fear of retaliation, you know, punishment. I just didn't want to have to face that possibility because it was not a good time. And number three, what do you consider to be the most important responsibility you are entrusted with right now? The most important thing I'm entrusted with right now is the care and nurturing of my wife and family. And along with that comes the care and nurturing of the church the Lord's entrusted to me. All right, let's get deeper into this study, okay? Arrogance is a sin. I think we all know that. And it can destroy the influence of Christ in a family, community, and a church. In today's scripture passage, Paul rebukes the church in Corinth for getting caught up in making Christianity about them and not about the kingdom. So open your Bible or Bible apps to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 21. And while we're going through this, I want you to note how Paul turns the Corinthian believers back to Christ and the gospel. Here we go, starting with verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, 
I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you did not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? Wow, that's a powerful chapter, and we're going to dive right in. Got a lot of things to talk about today, so let's get started. Question number one. When you feel like people are judging or evaluating you, how are you most likely to react? Do you defend yourself? Maybe you like to get away from them as quickly as possible. Perhaps maybe you then find things to criticize them about. Maybe you listen to what they say with an open mind. Or do you immediately try to become what they want you to become? How do you feel when people are judging or evaluating you? Candidly, I don't think anyone feels great about being judged or evaluated short of some kind of competitive event or job performance type of situation. That's just my opinion, nothing more. But I see being judged and evaluated as two kind of different situations, and yet they both can have similar outcomes. I feel like if I'm being judged, then it's personal, and it would be generally centered on a particular moment, a particular thing. And that means I really have to fight hard to not take it personally and try striking back at the individual with an unkind remark. Now, if I'm being evaluated, that can also be personal, but it's more about what I do, the job or the task that I'm trying to accomplish. And it generally would cover a period of time and not a specific event. So I'm more open to listening to the evaluation and trying to see if there are any areas of improvement 
that might be necessary. All right, number two, take a look at verses one and two. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Here's the question. Paul sets the tone for this chapter in these opening verses. Describe that tone and what it means. I believe Paul is urging the Corinthians to stop dividing themselves into factions based on loyalty to specific Christian teachers. We've been talking about this now in the whole last chapter with Paul and Apollos and Peter. So long as their messages are equally in agreement with the gospel, it is a waste of time to follow servants rather than the master. Paul wants his readers to follow Jesus Christ first and foremost, not men like himself or Apollos. Paul adds that one task assigned to Christian teachers as servants of Christ is to be stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is a person who manages something he does not own on behalf of the one who does. It's an important job, but it's still a servant's job. The mysteries or secret things of God include the gospel, the teaching that those who come to God by faith in Christ and his death for sin on the cross can receive salvation. Obviously then, for one to be trusted as a steward, he or she must be considered faithful. That means they need to have a reputation as someone who tells the truth, does not steal, and lives with integrity. I mean, that seems pretty obvious, right? Paul is making the connection that he and the other Christian teachers must also be found faithful by God in order to serve as stewards of the revealed mysteries of God. They've got to be trustworthy people of high integrity. And while it's important that Christian leaders have a good reputation, their real responsibility is to the Lord. Number three, verses three and four read, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now here's the question. To some, Paul might sound a little bit conceited in these verses, but when you look closer, what's he really saying? I agree, I don't think Paul is being arrogant or claiming to be perfect here at all, but he does insist that he doesn't worry about people's opinions regarding his faithfulness. In fact, he says he doesn't even judge himself. So in essence, he's saying the only opinion that should matter to the servant is his master's opinion. It's not that Paul has no self-awareness at all. He thinks about what he's doing. And he reports that he's not aware of anything against himself, any lack of integrity or failure in carrying out his duties. So in a nutshell, Paul is simply saying that no human being's opinion, even of themselves, matters in comparison to that of God. In the end, the only verdict of his work as a steward that matters is the Lord's, and Paul will wait for that. Number four, verse five reads, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Here's the question. Here Paul says to postpone judgment and wait until the Lord comes. What does he mean by that? The Corinthian believers had expended a lot of energy on making judgments concerning various leaders. Paul is explaining that God alone could judge the leaders because he alone knows their deepest secrets and private motives. Human beings can't do that, so they should be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether or not someone is faithful. People can only see the outside, but God can discern a person's heart. Number five, verse seven reads, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? 
Here's the question. What application does this verse have for people who are being arrogant or boastful? Here Paul begins to show with a series of pointed questions how the Corinthians' attitude of superiority makes little sense. His tone here is rhetorical, making the expected answer clear, even sarcastic. First, he asks, who sees anything different in them? What is it that makes them so special, above and beyond anybody else? What qualities do they have that other Christians lack that gives them the right to judge their ministers and each other? The answer, of course, is that they are no different from other Christians. They are equally as significant in the eyes of Christ. Next, Paul asks what they have that they did not receive. In other words, what valuable qualities or abilities do any of them have that they had not been given by God? That answer should be even more obvious. Every good thing in all of us is a gift from God, James 1.17, including every talent and personality trait. Finally, Paul asks if the only good in them that they have was received as a gift from God, how can it possibly make any sense to boast about it? How can they take pride and elevate their own opinion above that of other believers if every bit of good in them came from outside of themselves by God's grace? The answer is, it's not just that our pride and arrogance toward each other is wrong, it's also that it is a deeply foolish way to think of ourselves. All right, number six, verse eight. It says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. Here's the question. In this verse, Paul continues to speak against the Corinthians' pride. What is his point? These believers apparently already had all they wanted. They thought they had the kingdom's riches and they reigned in their little groups as though they had become kings. Believing that they possessed all the great wisdom and knowledge they needed, they felt qualified to judge others. Speaking with biting sarcasm, Paul marveled that they were able to accomplish all of this apart from those who had brought the gospel truth to them. I mean, that's ironic, because with great irony, Paul explained that he wished he could be a king along with them, for apparently they had surpassed the apostle in wisdom and knowledge and had already reached full spiritual maturity. Number seven, verses 10 to 13. They read, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Here's the question. Paul's sarcasm surely humbled the Corinthians. What is he trying to point out to them about their prideful and judgmental actions? Paul pointed out the strangeness of their supposed wisdom, strength, and honor, while God's apostles were considered as foolish, weak, and without honor. To further elaborate on the warped viewpoint of the proud Corinthian believers, Paul described the hardships that he and the other apostles continued to face in their ministry. Far from being honored for their preaching and fawned over by kings, they faced severe suffering. The world saw these men as no more than trash because they did not meet worldly standards of success. Paul willingly took this abuse in order to bring the message of eternal life to any and all who would believe. Most Christians today want careers that give them comfort, money, and prestige. Very few are willing to accept work that takes away necessary comforts, earns little money, and or causes people to look down on them, even if it's for the cause of the gospel.
Number eight, verses 14 to 16. They say, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Here's the question. In these verses, Paul dramatically changes his tone. What was the purpose in doing so? Well, he starts out right from the beginning, saying that he wasn't trying to shame these believers, but to warn them because they were his beloved children in the faith. Paul portrayed a special affection for these believers. He was their spiritual father. In any attempt to unify the church, Paul appealed to his relationship with them. Now, by using the word father, Paul meant that he was the church's founder because he had originally preached the good news to them. Paul's tough words were motivated by love. We call it tough love. I'm sure you've heard that term before. Like a love that a good father has for his children. Because the church could trust him, they could also imitate him. So he boldly explained that they could follow his example. Number nine, verse 17 says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Here's the question. Here Paul says he was sending Timothy to the Corinthian believers. Why? Well, in a nutshell, Timothy's role was to remind the believers of the faith that they had received. And I think it's really cool in this verse because he says not only that, he says it agrees, what Timothy's going to tell you, it agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. In other words, there's great consistency here. And Paul is trying to bring that back to the attention of the Corinthians. Now, after all of this, Timothy was to report back to Paul on the church's progress. Number 10, verses 18 and 19. They read, Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Here's the question. Who are the arrogant people Paul speaks of? And what assurance and encouragement does he give the Corinthian believers in this verse? The arrogant people were false teachers who had infiltrated the church, and in their eagerness to set themselves up as leaders, they were telling people that Paul wasn't coming back to Corinth, probably pointing out his weakness, fear, or some other inadequacy. So they assumed that they could do so as they pleased. But Paul explained that he had every intention of coming back as soon as he could, if it was the Lord's will. And at that time, he would expose the false teachers for who they really were. They were big talkers, but did they really have God's power? The answer would soon be obvious to everyone. Now, if I can add a little note here, the question is, did Paul ever return to Corinth? It's not known if he did, but it is likely. I really think so, because in 2 Corinthians 2.1, he wrote that he decided not to make another painful visit, implying that he had a previous painful confrontation with the Corinthian believers sometime after he wrote 1 Corinthians. All right, number 11. Thanks for sticking with me. We're almost done. Verse 20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Here's the question. What does this mean? Being a big talker is one thing, but living by God's power is quite another. You know, there's some people that talk a lot about faith, but that's all it is, talk. Now, you've heard the expression, talk the talk, walk the walk. This is what it is right here, folks. Paul says that the kingdom of God is not just fancy talk. It is to be lived. A person can live only in God's power when he or she has the Holy Spirit within them. And now the last question for today, number 12. Verse 21 says, what do you prefer? 
Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Here's the question. To close out the chapter, Paul gives the Corinthian believers a choice. Explain that choice, number one. And if you were in the Corinthian shoes, what would you choose? As we just learned a few verses ago, Paul would come with his authority from God as their spiritual father. He wouldn't be afraid or weak, but would be ready to deal with whatever the situation was. This letter was to precede him, and the Corinthian believers would then have time to choose between their arrogance or their love and gentleness. In the end, it would be up to them. Now, if it were me, I would much prefer Paul came in love and with a gentle spirit. But that would mean I would need to address my own attitudes and humble myself before the Lord, which I would be more than willing to do. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of today's study. It's been a long journey through this chapter. Thanks for sticking with us. We've been talking about power plays. Let's recap briefly what we talked about. Today, we focused on a conflict that Paul was having with some people in the Corinthian church who thought they were superior to others. And we were reminded that we should not trust in our own abilities, but rather in God's power and strength. Amen. Next time, we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And we're going to look at some warnings Paul gives the Corinthians on the theme of sexual immorality. That's going to be the title of our next session. So until then, please take care, and I'll see you right back here next week. Thanks for joining me today. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.